0: Hey, folks. Zach Austin here. I'm hey, inside our Indianapolis Star. He's Mike Nies, like Bloomington Herald Times. This is Mind Your Banners for Thursday, January 18th. Thursday evening, January 18th. We are all anxiously waiting to find out uh, if our children will be going to school tomorrow, Mike, or if we will be getting the anywhere from like a half an inch to possibly apocalyptic snow. That it seems like the forecast can't decide what we're, what exactly we're waiting on. Um, Indiana, I would imagine at this point, is already in Madison, Uh, scheduled to face Wisconsin on Friday night. You'll be there. Uh, I'll be watching from home, uh, wishing that I was eating cheese curds and beer cheese soup at the Old Fashioned. but here to talk I guess primarily about sort of Purdue leading into Wisconsin and I guess as much as anything else just sort of like a state of things after Indiana loses 87 to 66 at home to Purdue. I think it's fair to say it's a it feels like the sort of loss that that ought to make you sort of stop and take stock if you're Indiana of just where you are and where things are going and so we've had 48 hours or so to process you know, everything that kind of went wrong for Indiana, what are the things that you still sort of pull out of that game besides the obvious of, you know, Zach Eady or, you know, Fletcher Lawyer? just things that maybe surprised you or jumped out at you at sort of a second glance, things that just kind of maybe, you know, tell a certain story to you about that game?
1: Well, um, one, I think they have an Xavier Johnson problem in terms of they've got to figure out, what direction they're going to go. I don't think you could have him continue, uh, you know, continue having him play the way he's playing and win basketball games. Uh, Two, um, the team still seems like there's no, there's no identity to this team. Um, And it's, it felt like they, you know, Mike Woodson wanted to use the first, the non-conference portion of the schedule to figure that out. Um, We're now, you know, into the conference schedule and uh, it doesn't feel like this team is ever going to coalesce. I feel like that there's a lot of pieces, but it wasn't a well-constructed roster. Um, And I think that that shows every time they play tough competition or teams that are more well-balanced, more well-rounded, you could see the discrepancy and sort of like, you know, man, if Indiana had two more shooters instead of some of the pieces that they have, instead of, you know, CJ Gunn or Anthony Walker coming off the bench, this team would be a lot more dangerous or man, you know, they really could have used it, you know, you know, a veteran in a, in a different way, as, as opposed to the, you know, they got the Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway as the two starters, but um, they really could have used another, I don't know, veteran piece, you um, you know, in addition to what they got. It, it just feels like there were missed opportunities in the construction of the roster that I think are sort of holding this team back. It's not a bad team, but I don't think it's going to reach the potential that Mike Woodson hoped. And I don't think that, um, you know, fans are, are are ever going to be happy with with this season based on what we've seen so far. That That's, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you disagree?
0: Well, no, I mean, I, we're, we're kind of skipping ahead a couple of chapters and just like what, you know what we are going to talk about tonight, but I, I think I think the question of like you know
1: I I think my game up against Purdue exacerbates, like it just shows it highlights that I feel yeah like. I, that, I, that's kind of what I, was I posed
0: saying. I posed this to someone tonight Mike Glass got good friend of the show uh good friend of the podcast he might even listen who knows um I said I think I've gotten to a place for this team where. I, there's a part of me that cannot help but feel, and I'm sitting here sort of staring blankly at the Purdue box score while I say this. Um, can't help but feel like this team isn't as far away as maybe its fans think it is, but in the same beat. I'm not remotely convinced it'll ever get where it needs to go. Like, does that make sense that, like, like I think this because t- I
1: think that it's missing it's it's missing a piece it doesn't have to get over like I think it has a good collection of talent, it's just not the right collection to what, get like to what the-
0: is it and so so the question is what is the piece that it's missing? Because, like, listen, you know, you could say, Oh, it needs more shooters, but like number one, a number of guys have been shooting the ball better lately. The Purdue game didn't quite show it, maybe we can have a conversation about. You know Rutgers and Purdue, and whether guys are hitting threes when they need to versus when maybe you know the pressure's off a little bit. But, um, you know, you can have a guy that hits forty percent of his threes that's an absolute zero on defense and doesn't rebound, and I don't know that it makes this team like head and short. Like, like what what is the thing that that takes this team up a level? Because basically, like my kind of argument when I was talking to Glass was, I think that, you know, there are as many signs as there have been at any point in the season that McKinsey and Baco are starting to figure it out. He's really good against Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I thought he was really good against Purdue. And actually basically you saw him for 25 minutes. He had the foul trouble, Mike Woodson said afterward, which you know is, is not like him to just kind of sort of openly question his own decisions in in, in you know, publicly. Um, he said afterward he probably should have brought in Baco back in. I think he played nearly all of the second half, if not all of it, and Baco did. Um, And I think you saw in Mbako's performance, you know, too late, A, why Purdue was afraid of him and, and why he was probably Purdue's number one fear going into this game, and B, why, as it feels like he is starting to work out how to be, you know, an approximation of the player we thought Indiana was signing when he was a top-ten recruit, he was signed to go to Duke. He was an All-American this. He was an All-American that. He was an NBA prospect and on and on. As Mbako sort of begins to more fully form into that sort of player, I feel like that could be what Indiana is missing in the sense that he he can hit threes. He's a potential three-level scorer. I think he's more of a problem than you know anybody else on this team that isn't already just an out and out front court player in terms of getting fouled. Um, you know, Xavier Johnson's got a higher free throw rate among guys. If we're talking about guys that play a lot of minutes, um, but obviously Johnson is, is kind of, you know, it, it got issues unto himself as, as you talked about, and we may come on and discuss um, the three point shot has very much come around. You know, he's, he started the season one of 13 since then he's shooting like 39% in Big 10 play alone he's 12 of 26 which is 46.2% and that's across seven games so like that's a pretty good number that's more than that's that's what you know that's pushing four threes a game that's a good number um i just think like what i said was i think this team is is closer to realizing some measure of its potential than I think its fans think it is at this moment. And I understand why they're frustrated with it. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm just also not completely sure this team is ever going to get there. And if there, if it is, to me, it's Mbako that, that makes that happen because he's the one player on this team. When you talk about, Oh, you know, who's it, who changes that dynamic or who's a bucket getter or who's this or who's that. Mbako, I think, is the one player on this team between now and the end of the season that genuinely strikes fear into whoever is putting together the opposing scout for Indiana. Whoever is whoever on Wisconsin staff, Illinois staff, Iowa staff, Penn State staff, whoever. When they're looking at Indiana, Mbako is the one player that I think the majority of the league is going to look at and say, if he turns it on, we don't, we don't really have the tools to handle that and that's why well, i don't I...
1: know if you saw i don't you saw matt painter's content he said you know he, he was a different player from the first five games to the last five games that they watched him and that he, he said and i think it's probably true he's going to be really good next year if he obviously if he comes back but i mean i i think it's still going to take time like i don't know that throwing more pressure and mike woodson's been very protective of him thus far of the season to say it's not, he, you know, he can't say it's on his shoulders because he doesn't want to put that sort of expectations on him. I get what you're saying that it probably is on his shoulders. Like their upside is his upside. But at the same time, I think that the team is hindered by the fact that, and this is tied to the Xavier Johnson discussion, Gabe Cups teams don't respect his offense. And it's really been four on five on, uh, you know, the defense, they're, they're, with Game Cups in and playing so much so many minutes, you know, they're really doubling Malik Renew, uh wares, they've sort of you know solved his problem a little bit in the last couple of games in terms of offensively. And I think this team's easier to game plan against when you don't have a guard, a point guard that's um, really capable of sort of making you pay. I think that's kind of hurting. And Trey Galloway, this is really a symptom of the team, so up and down, right? Like that second half, he was terrific, but the first half. And there's nowhere to be found. And I think that this team, and we've talked about, like, they play good in five minute spurts. And uh, how do you figure that out? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, not even play 40 minutes to play like a full half? You know, it's like they play good that first five to seven minutes in the second half of Purdue. And then obviously the first half was terrible. The, the back end of the second half was okay. But like, is it just a symptom of being young? Is it a symptom of not? having not gelling as a roster like i i don't know what the solution is I mean, there i think
0: i think those things do all kind of go you know hand hand. in hand. Hand. i mean i i thought about i i have thought about you know kind of in the last couple of days just like digesting the purdue game you know writing about it picking apart different elements of it like i've thought about some of the purdue games of the last two years um when obviously mike Woodson started his career three and one against purdue and you know, there's the Purdue game that Indiana wins in twenty January 2022 in Bloomington. That Purdue team is 15 and two. I forget what they were ranked. Actually, I was on paternity leave because Eamon had just been born. But um, Trace Jackson Davis only plays 11 minutes in that game because um, he's in foul trouble. He, he finishes the four fouls, very uncommon for Jackson Davis. He didn't get foul trouble a lot, but Edie and, and Purdue, and just in general, kind of got him in foul trouble that night. Um, and yet Indiana led by 11 late in the first half of that game. You go to the Purdue game last season, um, the one where, you know, everybody kind of remembers it for, um, uh, oh, Lord, help me. Yeah, Jalen Hutchfino going crazy and, and, you know, he scored 38 points or 35 points and and on and on. You know Purdue led for most of that first half. If you look at the, you know, I think their I think their biggest lead was seventeen to ten. But if you look at the win expectancy graph on Kim Palm, like I think Indiana's win expectancy was never higher than like twenty one point three percent in the first half. Purdue was in control of that game for a long stretch, and you know basically Indiana just kind of pulled it, just just like stuck together basically, and and. When you say stuff like that, you think, oh, well, this team doesn't stick together. They don't like each other. There's no chemistry. They're all, you know, a bunch of individuals. Well, no, but it's it's different when it's, you know, it's Trace Jackson Davis and it's Race Thompson who've played, you know, 10,000 basketball minutes together. And it's Miller Kopp who, you know, I, I know people kind of, I don't know if people rolled their eyes at the statistic or not, but when, like, he became, like, basically the, the most, uh, he played the most games of any Big Ten player ever last year because he had the fifth year like experience keeps you together in those moments and, and, you know, experience both individually and also experience as a collective. And this team can have all the chemistry in the world. You know, these, these guys do broadly seem to like each other. They seem to stick up for one another. You know, when when there's, there's multiple guys on this team, when there's, you know, one of those like random, like post foul scraps where somebody's in somebody's face There's multiple guys who will, stick their nose in and and separate it and stand up for their teammate, whatever. Um, But they just haven't played a lot of basketball together. And it does feel like they come on. I think the
1: part that's missing, you don't see it, the leader necessarily, like a guy bringing the team together to sort of fight through that first half of that Purdue. It sort of quietly faded away a little bit and didn't have that sort of, that guy to kind of, to rally the team together a little bit. And, And I think that's where it's missing. And I think that speaks to your point that they don't have that, They got Trey, they got Xavier, but Xavier's on the bench right now um, and not really sort of playing well enough to do that. You know, Trey, I think, does it through his, you know, he ignited the team through his play in the second half. Um, But I'm not sure they have like the presence on the court to be like, look, guys, we got to settle down. Look, guys, we need this basket. You know, you, you haven't seen that as much, I think, this year in tough situations.
0: And, and I mean that is reminiscent a little bit to me of, of I think I have re- referenced the season the year before the 2013 14 season Indiana had where you know they they lost seven players off the team that won the Big Ten the year before including two two lottery picks and three seniors and, you know I mean if you look I'm looking at their Kimpon page right now you know their their top eight players sophomore freshman freshman sophomore will she he was a senior freshman freshman sophomore and there was just kind of this like you, you kind of got the sense that, you know, she he had a really strong personality and he was a you know, he was a really hard worker and he'd been a really big piece of what Indiana had built over the previous two or three years and all that. But, you know, he was, you know, he's a senior on a team full of freshmen and sophomores and you just kind of felt like it was it was it was a struggle for everybody to, you know, connect in the ways that aren't just sort of like, hey, we all yeah, we all hang out off the court or you know, we, we all did these team bonding activities together, but like the unspoken stuff. And actually I think like you bring up Trey Galloway, I I think, you know, in fairness to him, I think there have been moments when he has sustained that leadership a little bit. I mean, I think about a, a game like Michigan where he's three of 12 from the floor, he scores nine points, but you feel like he's still in some key stretches a bit of a calming presence, you know, he's, he's, he's seeking out the ball. He's doing this, he's doing that. Obviously they lose it, but the Kansas game, of course he goes nuts, you know, increasingly now he has really sort of inserted himself as this team's point guard. I mean, effectively, I mean he's got the sixth best assist rate in big 10 play alone of any team of any player in the conference. Um, well, while, while shooting the ball better and scoring it better than he was in November and December by and large. So, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it, it. it's tough. And it, again, I think the other reason it's tough is because it does feel like they're not that far away. But it's it's more almost to me like, it's like they're 5% of eight different qualities away rather than being you know, 25, 30% of like two qualities away where it's like you don't have a point guard or you just flatly can't rebound the ball. Or, you know, some Indiana teams we've seen in the past that, like, just literally can't shoot. Like, you know, I mean, I mean I've mean i covered an Indiana team that shot 31% from three, where it's just like, no one can shoot. Absolutely no one can shoot. This team's shooting 33.7%, which is basically middle of the road from three. That's 161st nationally. They still have the volume problem, but they're shooting 36.6% in Big Ten play. Like, the, the three-point line is not a disaster for them. They could stand to use it more and stop taking long twos. But, like, it, it schematically sure they could use another shooter. Everyone could. It's not like they literally just can't shoot the floor. It's not like they literally do not have. enough well, I, I do think
1: their I I do think their bench is lacking some firepower offensively.
0: That's fair. Gun and and the you know CJ Gun is sometimes filling that role and sometimes not. And and Anthony Walker is the same thing where it's like. And maybe if you were know, Mike Watson, you hoped, or maybe you still hope that Xavier Johnson. You know, can kind of obviously move past some of the stuff that that he obviously needs to get rid of, like the flagrant fouls. And well, I mean, do you want to get into
1: what, what? Well, I mean, that's the perfect segue. What? So Xavier Johnson obviously had the flagrant, nut shot, nut shot against Rutgers. Uh, bench.ed has come off the bench the last two games. He gets another flagrant foul. That was an obvious, just two handed shove at Zach Eady off the ball. You no, know, no sort of particular reason um what if if you're mike woodson what would you do and what do you think he'll do
0: yeah i mean it's it's hard um you know i mean you've gotta i i think that the first thing you've got to do is and this sounds weird but like you know most most guys don't play six years in college and like that's something that that kind of sticks out to me about Xavier Johnson and, and some other guys too is um not on this team but just in general. Like we we have this 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 wave of fifth and sixth year guys that shouldn't be in school, but they have the COVID year and within IL it is, you know, financially lucrative for them to be playing it. And so whatever I think the first thing you you probably have to do is is really just kind of like have a very frank conversation with Xavier Johnson just to like, what do you want out of you know Ultimately, you've got, you know, I mean, you know, effectively, Xavier Johnson is promised 14 more basketball games at the college level, and and yeah, he'll probably have a professional future somewhere. Um, you know, obviously, a component of that conversation with Mike Woodson is is probably like, well, where do you want that to be, because. There have been times in your career when you've looked for all the world like the kind of point guard that some nba teams would love to stash on their g-league roster and develop a little bit and see if they can't you know refine your shot and turn you into something defensively and then maybe you can get a cup of coffee in the nba and then you never know what happens um but it, you know th- this version of your game is is obviously not going to play anywhere near the professional level in in the united states Anyway, of course. Europe is always an option and things like that. But I think there's, you know, that's kind of specific. I, I think the conversation, if I'm Mike Woodson and, and I'm loath to just like put myself in somebody else's shoes and just say, oh, well, what someone should do is this or someone should say is No, this. I meant more and more, what would you, what would you do? But I, I mean, What's I think like I, I would just kind of sit him down and have a, a pretty big picture conversation and just say like, listen, you know, um, I know this is new for you. There's, There's never been a point in your career when you've been less involved. And but are you
1: saying, you, what you're you saying didn't be-
0: expect, you didn't expect to be here, you know, I mean, but by Johnson's own account, you know, he, he said, I, I, I thought I was done after the, after last year. And, and even the injury didn't necessarily immediately change his mind. Like even, even immediately post injury, he wasn't like, sure. Okay. I definitely want to, you know, come back for a sixth year. I want to pursue a sixth year. I think the first conversation, the first thing I would basically ask him is like, what do you want out of these last you know two if you can be part of us turning this thing around two and a half you know months two so do you three think you, you quarters think months keep, keep, or whatever
1: keep coming off the I mean like practically speaking more I more time I mean you know I get what you're saying. I don't saying
0: think you can I don't think you can put him back in the starting lineup until he earns it. I mean I I, I don't you know I think you I think any coach would tell you that you know he he, he goes to the bench he starts the Rutgers game. He plays twenty three minutes. He's thrown, you know, he gets when he's when he's ejected. He has two points. He's one of four from the floor with a rebound, two assists, and five turnovers. The next two games after that, he is o of seven from the floor with two free throws, three rebounds, and assist, four turnovers, a block, three steals, four fouls, and another flagrant. I, I mean, you're you. I think you, as a coach, you feel like you lose the authority or the respect or whatever. With the rest of your group, if you just say, yes, that's good enough for you to go back into the starting lineup, especially when I recognize, as you say, Gabe Cups has, you know, struggled a bit in his offensive game. And actually, I would kind of point to, you know, I mean, his turnover rate's not great and he's, you know, he's, he's clearly got to kind of find ways to impact the game beyond just scoring, but like. Cups has worked hard for you. Cups has given you some strong defense. Yeah, it was
1: never a question there's, of. There's no his defensive effort is as good as anybody on the team. So I mean, like yeah. I get that um, part of it. It's so not I, I just not, I think
0: I, I first of all, part. like I think you say, like you know, I recognize this isn't where you wanted to be in terms of coming off the bench halfway through your sixth year of uh, a sixth year of college. You didn't think was ever part of your future, but you are at the moment. And what do you want out of that? Because like in the same way that, you know, I think McKenzie and Baco is a certain key to, sorry, that's mine. Um, is a certain key to, you know, this team finding a level of, you know, sort of like another gear offensively, another gear athletically. I think Xavier Johnson, you know, especially if you can get him to embrace this bench role, and you can still play him tons of minutes. That's the other thing you can tell him. is You can still play him tons of minutes off the bench. You can still, sorry, I'm getting a marketer call. This is driving me nuts. Um, you can still play him, you know, plenty of minutes off the bench. And 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 he can still get, you know, especially on a team where your bench is already, you know, fairly thin. Um, he can get, you know, 28, 30 minutes, no real trouble off the bench, depending on the patterns of your substitutions. But I just think you need to have that conversation with him and say, like, what do you want? Like, what you know? Because if if I'm if I'm Mike Woodson in this scenario, I I I say I don't think I have to tell you that this isn't good enough, and that well, yeah, I mean, I think and that them under them. any circumstances, the performance, the decision making, what you're doing offensively, what you're doing defensively, what you're doing in front of the referees, like it's not enough like it, it, none of it meets the standard and 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 really as a sixth year player you know you probably know that without me even telling you so what do you want out of the next 2 months of your basketball career because after that you know you are cast out into the professional side of this where it is ultimately a business decision. And yes, you won't have to go to school or you won't have to go to class or, you know, you, it'll be something different probably. Like, I think some guys just are ready for like a different challenge sometimes when they move on from college. But, you know, um, the flip side is, you know, if, if, if you're this, if you perform like this in a professional setting, a team might just drop you. So I think there's just kind of a, I think there's a frank conversation to be had to just say like, what do you want? And can we marry that to what the team needs, essentially? Well,
1: so and there, there needs to be some urgency, right? Like he can't, Mike Woodson can't afford two more games like that from Xavier Johnson and just give points away when he's on the floor. Um, and uh, and, I, and I think it's a sort of a pivotal decision. Um, he is a six-year player and he, he's a captain, co-captain. Um, and so I think there's some urgency on both sides to sort of say, you know, Xavier's got to, not just be there, but he's got to, you know, contribute and show some urgency, show some fire. And it was, it's ironic that like the day, like two days, you know, it was after the Ohio state game where he looked really, really good. And had those quotes where he's like, I got to, you know, not having a turnover in that game was like a badge of honor. Like these are the, this is the games I got to have from now on out. You know, my veteran status means something and I got to make smart decisions and then it's gone the other way on him. Um, So, yeah, I think it's like a a big-time deal because, you know, he's shortened Mike Woodson. We've talked about how he's kind of shortened his bench quite a bit. Um, And Xavier Johnson is getting – you know, he got decent minutes uh, off the bench even, you know, uh, last game against Purdue despite everything. But, like, he's got to play better. Like, they they can't continue that two weeks down the line, right? I mean, it's just not feasible.
0: Well, that's where I come back to, like, uh, listen, you know, and I know we joke about the whole, like, must-win thing and everything, but, like, a game like that does need to be a, a bit of a soul-searching moment for you as a team. Like, you know, a couple years ago, Indiana beats Purdue. Um, it's January 20th. Indiana beats Purdue. They go 14-4, and 5-3 and three in the conference. I think Purdue was, you know, top 10 Ken Palm, top 10 net at the time. So this was like a, you know, a real sort of, like, hang your, you know, Hang a hat on it, kind of win. It was their first win against Purdue in ten tries. Like it was an it was a, an enormous win. And then three days later, Michigan came in and shot eleven of seventeen from three, and Indiana was clearly emotionally hungover, and they lost eighty to sixty-two. And like it was never really that close. Like Michigan's minimum, <laughs> Michigan's minimum win probability on Kim Palm that that afternoon was twenty-seven point three percent. It was when Indiana took a two to nothing lead with 18 and a half minutes remaining in the first half. Like that, that was the way that game went was like, it was all Michigan virtually from the beginning. And it was just very clear. Like Indiana was just, you know, just kind of hung over from such an important win, both for the complexion of that season. And also just like for the wider message of getting out from under this long losing streak to Purdue and not being able to win these kinds of big games at home and all that kind of stuff that had plagued them under Archie. And so you were able to look at that Michigan win and just say, like, just set that to one side that, like, that yes, you can't play like that at home forever, but like that doesn't mean a lot in the course of the season. You know what that was ultimately. This is the kind of game that basically sits to me at the opposite end of the spectrum. And I think it's a conversation kind of for everybody to have at some level, whether it's, whether it's with Xavier Johnson and, and sometimes maybe the, I guess the topic of conversation might be like more obvious or, or more self-explanatory for lack of a better term but i just think it's it's one where you know to 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 lose that heavily to your rival in your building the way that you did you know you got a couple guys in foul trouble and you basically just kind of lost control of the game and and there was no you know like one of the things i I, again i was talking to glass about this i do because i do a radio show with glass every thursday afternoon and you know i said what was you know semi-ironic was If you actually kind of like if you read out the offensive rebounding numbers or the turnover numbers or the three-point shooting numbers, you know, without knowing anything about the game other than those statistics, you would have said, actually, okay, Indiana must have had a decent night, you know, because the things that we thought would, would, you know, would really hurt Indiana, Purdue's ability to shoot the three more effectively, Indiana's struggles with turnovers, Purdue capitalizing on Indiana having these offensive rebounding issues and second chance points none of that stuff really manifested in a major way it was just the it was some just much more like fundamental connectedness you know control you know i I don't want to say pride like i i feel like it's really easy to start throwing in sort of like intangible criticisms without any real um proof or whatever but like a, 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 at least a certain measure of just like collective fight on your home floor i just think this needs to be the kind of game where everybody has a a, a little bit of a, a soul searching conversation because look at what you have next you know you're next to you have Wisconsin then you have a week off then you have Illinois both of those on the road you get Iowa and Penn State at home. Iowa would probably be a quad two win, but they have struggled to beat well, you're Iowa. i
1: spoiling it. I mean, we should set this question up because, I mean, you've been... The no,
0: head. but, but, but the jokes aside, the, the point is... Two
1: must-wins out of the last three. They've lost two of them, 1-1. Is it a is series? They must win one out of two? I think it's... Well, I know
0: I, I would take it of a whole piece of four of your next six are on the road. All four are quad one wins if you win any of them. The two at home, one is a quad two against the team Woodson hasn't beaten yet in Iowa. The other one is a game that basically just all you could do is avoid losing it, which is Penn State, at least for the moment. Obviously, net rankings can change and stuff, but I don't think Penn State's in the top. Um, I'll look while we're talking, but I don't – unless something is, has dramatically changed, Penn State is is not in the top 75 and then after 118. So that's a quad two win at best. Um, my point in this is like – and, you know, there's probably people saying, listening to this, saying, don't even talk about the incidentally tournament. This team's nowhere near the incidentally tournament. Like, it's not right now. But the point is, if there is an opportunity for this team to grab hold of the direction of its season, still, if, if, if that remains a possibility in any meaningful way, it, it like this is the stretch to do it. And I'm not saying it's easy because four of six are on the road. And frankly, the ones you need to win most are pretty much the four road games. In, in any combination. If you well, could sum but realistically, two and two, and two in those four, up, that would be a huge win. But
1: two like, of those four would be a minimum for a path to the tournament, do you think?
0: I think so, because after that, you've got Nebraska and Northwestern at home. Those are quad two wins. Penn State on the road, as stated, not going to do anything for you. Wisconsin at home would be a quad one-ish win, depending on where Wisconsin was. Maryland and Minnesota, I don't think either one of them is is in the top 75 right now. Um, in the uh, let's see, Michigan, Rutgers, Minnesota. No, Minnesota and Maryland are are in the the mid low nineties or mid high nineties in the net. Um, so neither of those rid- wins road wins do anything for you. And so then you get to a situation where a you know the only team you've beaten on the road is Michigan, a team that's also in the nineties right now, or maybe they're in the. I guess Michigan is literally ninetieth in the net right now, um, and B you know, you just don't have enough quality. And like, I just, I think it's, 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 and, and as we have learned, not that we have learned, we should know this. Everyone should know this. Indiana learned it sort of like the semi hard way, I guess, a couple of years ago when they went to the big 10 tournament, they came back and beat Michigan. They beat Illinois. They took Iowa all the way to the wire. The committee doesn't give you that much credit for those. They can't because they can't, they have to have the bracket fairly locked in by like Friday afternoon, Friday evening of selection weekend. They can't, Leave it super open ended for teams that make some surprise run in the conference tournament. You can't, you can prove your seating maybe, but you can't go from no chances teams in the field unless you win the automatic bid. You can't go from no chances teams in the field to wow, they had a great weekend in Minneapolis. Let's stick them in there. Um, we got, you-
1: we got four minutes left to set up Wisconsin. So of those four road games, obviously, I think Purdue's the hardest. Where does Wisconsin rank? You know, obviously, they haven't won there in what two decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Wisconsin's really difficult. The, the one that I would
1: is is Wisconsin harder than I mean, they beat Ohio State already. The one season. that I would, the one that I
0: would circle in in red is Illinois. Um, number so you one, think
1: Illinois is a, is a harder harder team. No, harder-
0: I, I I it's I guess Illinois is more of like a barometer to me. They're going to get eight days off between Wisconsin and Illinois, so they'll be as rested as they can possibly be. They'll have as much time as they can to scout. Illinois got the Terrence Shannon thing going on. Um, Illinois, you know, kind of, you know, they 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 lost like badly, but then battling at Purdue, and then they beat Michigan State on the road or at home, excuse me. And everyone was kind of like, "Oh, Illinois is you know figuring some of this out without Terrence Shannon." Then they then they just you know, frankly, you know, collapse against Maryland at home. They've got they've got Michigan away, Rutgers at home, and Northwestern away. So they will not be as rested and like what kind of tends to happen and setting the Terrence Shannon thing completely to one side, what kind of tends to happen in these situations when, when a a really important player is suddenly not available for a long period of time, injury or whatever it is, obviously in this case, it's, it's something off the court, like for a couple games, three games, everybody elevates their play, your blood's up. Everybody feels that sense of urgency you know, everybody's a little bit sharper because they know, you know, so-and-so is not around and there's no scouting report on you because your scouting report was so heavily influenced by this player that's not available. And so it takes other teams a little while to figure out what you are and what you look like without that player. And I just think like, you know, it's hard to expect Indiana to win at Wisconsin. Like they haven't done it since 1998. Um if they did, obviously it would be a huge win. Penn State probably didn't do them many favors by waking Wisconsin up with that loss midweek. Um, but that Illinois game to me, like if if there's no if there's an opportunity, that's it to me. Um and that's the one where let's assume they lose at Wisconsin, like you kind of look at it and feel a little bit like it's high noon for this team's this team's opportunity to really gain control of its season again.
1: So I'm putting you down for a not must win for Wisconsin, but must win for Illinois. And you could there change you your answer to in, a, in a week, but that's what we have right now.
0: If so they if they beat Wisconsin, then that was a must win.
1: You can't. No, retroactive does not work like that. No, you can't do that. No.
0: Um. Let's uh, leave it, Let's leave it there for the night. He's Mike Knizelick. I'm Zach Osterman. This has been Mind Your Banners for January 18th, 2024. We'll be back next week. Uh, we should probably start blending in a little football and some more women's basketball chatting into this. But with the week off, we'll probably find some time. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.